um, but the I think we can do that here in Ontario uh, because Ontario is kind of a unique ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. We still manufacture like Ontario produces a lot, and high, just from a technology standpoint, some of our critical components are we're working with manufacturing partners, not literally down the street, but quite close, right? And these are the types of things that you wouldn't be able to get uh, elsewhere. If you could, then you would have to jump through a lot of hoops, right? So I think it's we're really lucky that we are manufa- we are based in Ontario 100%. that we had that option to come back and still work with uh, high precision machining and everything along with partners who at the size that we were at when we were starting. Hello and welcome to another episode of Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host Nick Persichilli and in this episode, I take a drive out to Kitchener to have a chat with Katerina Illich, one of the co-founders of a company called Volterra. If that company name sounds familiar, it's because last year we had someone from Volterra on the podcast, their product manager, Matt Irwitowski. In that episode, we learned that additive manufacturing can and has been used to rapidly create circuit boards. And as Matt explained in that episode, Volterra had manufactured a printer to do just that. It's called the V1. However, in this conversation, we were chatting about their new printer, the Nova. Their slogan for the new printer is, quote, print anything on everything. But what exactly does that mean? It means you can print circuitry onto a textile. It means you can print sensors directly onto bumper fascias, nerve sensors directly onto prosthetics. In other words, you can incorporate electronic devices into almost anything that you can additively manufacture without the need for those green circuit boards. How did they do it? Well, check the timestamp. Kat and Matt do an excellent job of explaining the tech in this episode. In essence, the Nova, like the V1 before it, is a tool to enable innovation. While the discussion about the capabilities of the Nova was fascinating, the history of how they got to where they are today is equally compelling. As Kat explains, both the founding of the company and the invention of the V1 were in response to the painfully slow process of manufacturing circuit boards. She and her co-founders first experienced this problem in their university years. When submitting circuit designs for evaluation, it would often take the entire semester for their projects to be manufactured off-site. If they got anything wrong, there was no time to make changes. The reality of this timeline was frustrating for students, but it's an innovation killer for manufacturers working with electronics. And since a solution didn't readily exist at the time, they made one. Now, this episode was indeed recorded live, but it wasn't recorded at Volterra. It was recorded at the Kitchener Public Library, specifically the Hefner Studio. Now, big shout out to them for providing such a great space for recording. I'm used to recording next to manufacturing floors with a ton of background noise. It was a delight to be there that day. But that's enough of my nerdiness for now. The reason we couldn't record at the Volterra offices was because there wasn't room. While Volterra is enabling innovation in manufacturing with their Nova and V1, it's important to remember that they themselves are manufacturers. Not only do they design their printers in-house, they build them there too. After the recording, I was lucky enough to get a tour of their facility, and wow, they weren't kidding. Their offices are full, and they need more space. And that's another issue we covered in our chat, serviceable land. You know, it's almost like a rite of passage for any successful Ontario company to have to deal with this issue. But I digress. Kat reiterated what Matt said in the previous episode on additive manufacturing of electronics. The best use cases for this new technology have yet to be written. Because if you really can print anything onto everything, the only limit is your imagination and the number of intelligent people you can get into the room. 
So with that, here's my chat with Katerina Illich and Matter Rutowski of Volterra. And it doesn't happen often, in fact, I don't think it's ever happened, that we've actually had a repeat guest on the show before. Matt, please introduce yourself hey, again. I'm, uh, once again, thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm Matt Evertowski. I'm a product manager at Volterra, where we build tools for researchers and engineers that help them bring their ideas to life even faster and better than ever before. And you brought your boss today, didn't you? Yeah, are we over here, uh, Kat Illich. Kat, please introduce yourself. Uh, hi there. Very nice introduction, Matt. My name is Katerina Illich. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders and the sales director here at uh, Volterra. Really happy to be here today. I have to say it's my first first time on a podcast. Really? Uh, so I'll work on my smooth, buttery voice. There uh, you I'm go. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So thanks to both of you for making the time. Matt, thanks for making the time again. Let's talk about Volterra because the last episode we had, we were chatting about additive manufacturing of electronics. Mm-hmm. As a co-founder, Kat, what uh, what what made you want to found a company? Um, I think Volterra really came from personal frustrations that we experienced being in school, actually. So it really came upon a problem that we were facing that was a problem others were facing as well in the industry, and we sort of took it upon ourselves to, to solve that problem. Uh, and that problem was really quick access to circuit boards. This was very much during the time of the maker movement when uh, 3D printers were going from being, you know, industrial equipment to more and more desktop versions. They were becoming much cheaper. Um, And before you knew it, everybody could access a 3D printer, it seemed like, Matt, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They were um, in maker spaces. They were... um, on your, in your school workshops, um, you could even have individuals that just had a hobby of 3D printing that could have 3D printers in their garages. Mm-hmm. Um, this was all fantastic because really for the first time, any individual that had the interest could go from a cat on their screen to having a physical product printed in their hand uh, within a matter of an hour or two. However, this simply simply the same wasn't true for um, electronics. 3D printing is great but it doesn't have electrical functionality that you often need for, for full products. Uh, and so, you know, during the time we were sort of stuck in school, I know myself and Matt both studied the nanotechnology engineering program at the University of Waterloo, and we actually took a lot of electrical engineering courses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so during the time in those laboratories, you were often left designing a circuit board uh, sending the design file, I mean, at least the laboratory instructor would, so you didn't even get to see that process, but the laboratory instructor would send off that design file often to China. You'd kind of just wait weeks and weeks, um, often an entire semester until the circuit board got back. Uh, and then you and your lab p- partner would kind of poke at it, test it. Sometimes it would be wrong and you wouldn't really understand where or why it went wrong because time ran out and you didn't have time to do another iteration. And this was a, a, a problem that education was facing, let alone you know the industry. But this same problem is magnified um, in the workforce when you have um, engineers that are often left uh, needing to develop a product, often on a budget, often on a strict timeline, and they're left doing this exact same process, um, shipping boards out, waiting for them to come back. It's just a compounded sort of problem And this was really the problem that we set out to fix. We said, well, you know, if 3D printers are a thing and they're this accessible and they're and they're and they're they're this, you know, economic, surely there has to be a better solution for circuitry. 
And so the obvious solution seemed to be, well, let's just go ahead and try to build a 3D printer for, for circuit boards. Um, <laughs> let's do the hard thing, the hardest thing possible. Let's try and do this ourselves. <laughs> nice. So you guys were waiting a semester. You were waiting. So in other words, you had your project, which was to, let's say, to design a circuit board. And you'd have to wait a semester to get your result back. That's exactly how it often went, actually. And this was a problem that every engineering student had faced, um, a problem that um, our co-founders as well, James and Jesus, um, had been facing. Uh, Matt felt this problem personally. I felt this problem personally. Anybody that had been studying had felt this problem. So, yeah, you, you would often have to wait um, an entire semester to get a circuit board back. Now, you know, you can speed that process up, which is often what the industry is kind of left doing um, and you can get that board back within a matter of a couple of weeks but you're typically paying a premium on that to get the board back a little bit faster so that you could just get to work but often you know the board will come back and you'll find another iteration is required there's a mistake the design requirements have changed right and so as soon as you go ahead and you make those changes to your design then the entire process repeats all over again on and on and on till you know 10 a dozen even more um, iterations might be required right um, so it's a lot of time, a lot of money, and people just really needed a better solution at the time. Yeah. Now, let's talk about your products. So a few months back, uh, I, I attended a launch party, a lovely launch party, mm. um, for a specific new product. Would you guys care to tell us a little bit about that product? Sure. So what uh, what Kat already introduced was kind of the the roots of how Volterra came to be at this time when additive manufacturing, specifically 3D printing, had come into the public consciousness. And we just happened to intersect with that through, you know, the world of electronics. Now, fast forward uh, seven years from the first product launch, the V1, you know, printed circuit boards on your desk to today, the industry has evolved in a, in a lot of ways, right? Uh, at the time, we were really focusing on the printed circuit board, which is more or less like the brain behind every electronic device. But in that time, we also discovered through talking to our customers that there was a whole world out there of potential opportunities for electronics design that wasn't being served at all from the R&D and the proof of concept scale. So this, this world of printed electronics, where you're creating electronic devices that leverage entirely new form factors and design opportunities, the barriers to entry for that world were so high that most engineers weren't familiar with it at all. So this new product that we just launched in October, uh, it's the Volterra Nova. Uh, it serves to solve that problem, to reduce the barriers to entry for printed electronics for every electronics designer, giving them the access to those new form factors, new design concepts, entirely new product opportunities that have never been accessible to them before. In this way, instead of just focusing on making things faster, cheaper, easier, we're really bringing down the barriers and, and redefining what it would mean to create an electronic device. Uh, that seems like, you know, kind of some lofty goals we put out there, but at Volterra, that's really what we believe in. We believe in catalyzing innovation, allowing people to do those new things by bringing down those barriers to entry. And Nova is right at that intersection of next generation technologies together with electronics that you and I interact with on a daily basis. Um, and it's really giving the engineers and the researchers the opportunity to explore what can be done. What is an electronic product? What is an electronic device? What if it wasn't constrained to a board in a box? 
Uh, and I can talk about this all day because there are so many cool opportunities when we th rethink what it means for electronics devices and products to have that functionality. Uh, but that, that I think, is, is a great introduction to that whole space of, pr of printed electronics. Yeah, I think um, one thing that uh, we've always really valued is sort of listening to our customers and really understanding kind of um, what are they using the product for? Where is it best helping them? And what's kind of cool about this is that we kind of stumbled on the Nova solution a little bit by accident. Um, yeah, what did you say? <laughs> yeah, I'd say that, you know, like, yeah. you, like you're saying, talking to our customers yeah. really illustrated what they were actually using our tools for. Exactly. We kind of got to this point where several years had passed. Uh, at this point, we had shipped you know thousands of units uh, around the world. Mm -hmm. um, to over 80 countries. Um, so this was clearly a universal problem that was happening everywhere. And yeah. This was your first printer? The, the Volterra V1, The V1, yeah. yeah. Wow. The Volterra V1, yeah. Got shipped to over 80 countries, uh, and we got to a point where we said, you know, we should really start figuring out what people are using this thing for <laughs> I mean, and where it's helping them. <laughs> you know, pretty early, luckily, we by necessity of being a small company that scales so quickly you always kind of have your finger on the pulse of what customers are you know doing with your with your product and uh as kat was saying we we'd go out to you know originally we intended to sell to uh, electronics engineers and then you see somebody's like somebody buys your tool from one of these top 100 research institutions and you're thinking what are they what, using that yeah, for what is a what does a material science lab have to do with circuit boards right yeah. And falling and pulling on that thread, then you find out that they're trying to put electronics onto a material that has the same properties as human skin. Yep. Yep. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Weird stuff started to happen where um, we started calling these users um, and really trying to understand what they're using it for. And, you know, this is where um, software registration can be a beautiful thing because you can track your customer usage. Uh, and you could see, you know, who's using it the most, when are they using it. Uh, and we started looking into that data and, as Matt said, pulling that, pulling on that thread a little bit more. And we started noticing people following in these, like, distinct categories. Um, you know, there was folks that were using the product a couple times a month. People that were in this middle tiers, they were using it a couple of times a week. Uh, and then you had people in this sort of advanced tier, and they were using it several times a day. The Some of them users. 10 times a day. We call them the super users. Yeah, the power users. Wow. We said, who are these folks that are making so much use of this product? And so uh, we started getting on the phone with them and trying to sort of understand them better. And yeah, it was a lot of researchers, not only at research institutions, but also at companies mm -hmm. um, that were sort of doing advanced research. Uh, and they weren't printing circuit boards. They were printing on textiles, you know, on denim. They were printing on gelatin materials that could that were biocompatible and could interact with the skin. They were printing on uh, flexible materials that could be, you know, that had an adhesive backside and could be stuck onto a package, maybe used for a, you know, radio frequency identification tag uh, in order to track packages that could be mm -hmm. shipped all around the world without ever having to scan human hands. They were doing some really, really cool stuff, but they were sort of hacking the V1 in order to do that. Yeah, um, it was never the intended use case, but then by finding we had provided a solution that solved their problem, there wasn't anything out there that would allow them to do that in the first place. And that's kind of where the seed for Nova started, right? Mm -hmm. Not only were we introduced to this entirely new industry that 
just to further illustrate the point with printed electronics we had come from like uh cat and myself we studied nanotechnology engineering uh jesus and james they studied mechatronics so like degrees that are to are, are very much configured f towards forward-looking technology and we had never heard of printed electronics until we went to our customers now that is a hundred percent reflected with the average electronics engineer as well, right? There's this whole world that they would never really know of. Uh, so when we were introduced to it through our customers, we really dove in and began the hard work of figuring out what is it about printed electronics that keeps people out? If this is something that, as, as it turns out, it's been around for decades, right? The fundamentals of printing electronics this has been done, it was done in the 80s, it was done all the way back to the 1960s. Some of the first electronic devices altogether actually were additively manufactured. So what was it that was keeping this technology from being broadly adopted? Uh, I think that that was the real starting point for configuring a solution that would solve that problem. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what eventually led us to, to Nova being released this year. Yeah, turns out the secret is in the materials, <laughs> which people don't often think about, right? You think, what are two nanotechnologists doing in a field uh, largely comprised of electrical engineers? But one thing that people often don't think about is, um, you know, this is a vast world of what really is materials engineering. Mm -hmm. um, these products are a very unique combination of, of software, of um, electromechanics, and really of materials that all have to work together in a very specific way in order for it to function in the way that it does. Yeah. And so that's often what I tell people. Well, the, the world is made of materials and those materials are, uh, at first you could only see them on a, a micro scale. Uh, eventually we got the tools to be able to see them at a nano scale. Today we can see them even on an angstrom scale. Um, mm -hmm. And so people started being able to sort of explore the world on, of materials at a finer and finer level. I mean, for an, an idea, um, a nano a nano scale is is one millionth, you know, the width of a, a human hair, just to give some idea of scale here, right? Mm -hmm. I was um, going to ask you about yes, that. Thank yes, yes. And that's really what this came to be about, you know. It's manipulating ma matter on a very, very small scale. And the more you can manipulate matter on a very small scale, then you can start to sort of engineer materials to work in your favor mm -hmm. um, and get them to do things that they weren't able to do before. Um yeah, the, the really the, the materials innovations that we've seen over the past decades, that's what's enabled printed mm -hmm. electronics in the same way that the polymer revolution of the mid 20th century gave us, you know, the world that we live in today, right? Like plastics, those weren't a common building material at, at the beginning of the 1900s, but when it became one, it really enabled a lot of new opportunities for products and technology. And with printed electronics, that innovation in materials has been going on for so long but the reason why we found that it hasn't been broadly accessible is that there is still that expectation that the person who designs the device will also have that understanding of materials, right? And Nick, you and I talked about this a little bit last time, which is if uh, historically, if someone wants to make a printed electronic device, they would have to not only know how do you build an electronic device, the fundamentals of every electronic product, but they would also need to know how do I print this t this material right so and that's its own world of printing technologies and then you would also need to be a material science expert as Kat was saying like the complexity of the formulation of these materials is that we can't understate that 
However, we believe that we've gotten to the point now that that doesn't need to be exposed to the end user. In the same way that when you order a circuit board from a factory, they don't ask you what configuration of copper you want. They just ask you, you know, how big, right? How many layers? And I think yeah. that getting to this point is where you begin to use these technologies uh, as a tool in your toolbox. And that is where we're trying to get printed electronics to with Nova. Get it to that point that any engineer doesn't need to be a PhD in nanotechnology. Yep. They can use these materials to create a flexible, a stretchable uh, a device or a sensor incorporated into a car, into a car's like uh, instrumentation panel directly. Mm -hmm. This this is really kind of the story that we're trying to get out there with printed electronics, that it doesn't have to be so difficult for you to get started. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think like a good analogy would be almost imagine, you know, you had to go into a store to buy a pair of jeans. And all you want to do at the end of the day, you want to walk out with a pair of jeans that fit well. Um, but in buying your pair of jeans, you have to know what the chemical composition is of, the, you know, the cotton that has created the jeans that you're wearing you know like the length people. of the fibers the you know like you know so i'm trying to draw a, an analogy to just like mm -hmm. a typical world application that might make sense to people right like that's kind of what we're talking about here and you're like i just want i just want a pair of jeans that fit good around the waist and they're the right you know they're the right length and like that's all you just you just want to walk away with your pair of jeans uh, and what you know, which is your waist length and your, your you know, what length they have to be, right? To um, be fair, Kat, I think some people would pay extra for that. <laughs> if, if you're yeah. the super custom denim, that's an opportunity. <laughs> A complete opportunity. Yeah, what's the pH level of these jeans? <laughs> yeah, what's the pH level? <laughs> I have not been able to ask that of somebody. Thanks, Wow. Thanks. There you go. <sighs> yeah. Well, you know, it's. We laugh around a lot, but I mean, that that is kind of what what stuck with me from the last podcast I had with Matt. It's that the use cases for this technology have yet to be written. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's it's it's so when you really think about what this enables you to do this. I love this because it starts you start pulling on these threads of what else could be possible in the same way. Right. In the last episode, Matt, you were talking about the incorporating of the heating elements into the leading edge of a wing. Mm, mm -hmm. Can you quickly remind us what that was just as like an example of the kind of stuff that you can build with this technology? Sure thing. So uh, the way that I usually will introduce what printed electronics can do for you is to imagine that electronics could go any into almost any material and onto any surface to be ubiquitous around us and embedded into the structures that we interact with on a daily basis. So this example with the, the heater for a UAV wing, that's actually something that Professor Gerd Grau, who was on the show with us last time, one of his students. Shout out to Gerd. Shout out <laughs> to Gerd. Uh, he's such a, such a great guy and <laughs> it's a lot of fun to talk about, partially because his students work on such interesting topics. So in this case, it was something the, the end use case was for de-icing, right? So if you didn't need to have a lot of sophisticated circuitry supporting a heater that could be embedded direct, that could be put into a wing, instead, you could print the electronic patterns directly onto, uh, in this case, it was a carbon fiber structure. And now that carbon fiber structure, it's not just structural, it's now functional. The structure is a heater. That's something that with printed electronics, you can expand that concept out almost uh, infinitely. Your clothes now, let's say that the heater concept was then put towards uh, fabrics, right? You, you'll need to have a battery pack somewhere, but 
the the distinction between the functional meaning the the heating element and the structural in this case let's uh, if we were talking about textile that line blurs they are they're actually the same thing now the textile it gets that new functionality if we were to go beyond that into for example imagine an infrastructure if the buildings that we were occupying or the the roads we're building or the bridges that we're crossing also had sensing elements directly as part of them right imagine strain sensors that are directly embedded into concrete in a really inexpensive and easy way you wouldn't necessarily need to have bridge inspectors going out to 3,000 bridges per person per year, right? You could have uh, infrastructure that itself is reporting on its state in real time. Uh, another example, which actually we see a lot of interest in, is in the medical and health Very field. Very interesting, yeah. Uh, we see that there are, uh, for anybody, do you guys have like, uh, you know, smartwatches? Do you wear your smartwatches at all? So I don't, but like, I'm aware of them. Yeah. You, you, yeah. <laughs> so one of the th cool things that they do is that they're constantly monitoring your uh, your heart rate. And n these days, because of the sophistication of like data processing, you'd be able to look at something as innocuous as someone's heart rate over the span of a couple days and then potentially be able to predict whether or not that they might have some kind of heart condition. Now, that's just one example of some sort of feedback that we could be collecting. But there are all kinds of signals from your body all the time that could be used for predictive uh, medicine, right? Instead of being reactive, you could be proactive. However, the problem is that most of the time you would have to be in a hospital room, you know, 24 hours a day with machines hooked up to you. Now, one of the promises of printed electronics and medicine is that you could have these uh, non-invasive patient monitoring systems that kind of just um, exist on your body without you having to even notice them because they're so comfortable. So that that's a, a favorite of mine, a favorite example, because I think just for the average person, everybody knows someone who, uh, you know, has some kind of illness, right, that probably could have been prevented. Uh, printed electronics, it gives us that opportunity. So we are here today in the local library. This is the Kitchener, is it just called Kitchener? Kitchener Public Library. Um, we weren't able to be in your offices to record this because because <laughs> we're, we're building we so many units. Here? <laughs> it's really hard for us to have a microphone set up when we're so busy building and shipping out Nova and V1 units. So. That's yes. That yeah. is, that's exactly it's so, constant chaos over there right now we <laughs> tell me about yes, it yes i mean good chaos you know right. these are these are good problems to have mm -hmm. there's bad problems to have and then there's good problems to have and these are very good problems to have so running out of you know office space and not being able to walk <laughs> around because you've ran out of production space and you have to start building and stacking you know boxes on the floor before you can ship them out these are these are all very very good problems to have yeah. um, but you know in in good news we're working on this problem so uh we're 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 looking at a big space right now about 15,000 square feet it's about four times the size of where we're currently at and uh we just did a, a tour of it uh the other day going through it there's still quite a bit of construction to be done on it uh, but, you know, walking through and I'm just thinking to myself, I can't wait to, to fill this space. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully yeah. no more tripping over boxes. Um, like you said, it's a good problem to have yeah. when you no longer fit into the space because of the, the demand. I, I mean, since since launch, we've been uh, I've been so glad to see the response, um, the amount of interest that we've generated in our products and. I think uh, now ramping up to the end of the year, we're just looking towards 2023 and trying to hit the ground uh, running, you know, like 
with the 100%. now we have the two products out there we're serving so many new use cases and it's just a very exciting time to be at Volterra. Um, Sounds like it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What really excites me is when you think about, you know, we're really solving like a universal problem. This is sort of, you know, this people are speaking the same language all around the world when it comes to this specific problem, even when they're speaking hundreds of other languages. So, you know, I just got back from Spain. Mal, you just got back from Germany. We just got back from different parts of the world. Uh, we had members of our team recently come back from, uh, you know, the UK as well, uh, visiting our distribution partners there. And what's really cool, um, in all my time sort of being at Volterra, being in different parts of the world, sort of explaining to people this problem and explaining to them our products and trying to find a solution, they all seem to have the same reaction to it. And I think that that's kind of really incredible is that they're speaking different languages but they're looking for the, for one solution everybody wants a way to be innovative and they want you know accessibility to innovation and they're looking for the right tools to be able to do it to sort of unlock you know their potential mm-hmm. and doesn't matter where you are that's uh that's a universal problem Not and really. that i believe is really really amazing um because you know we're just a small shop here in kitchener canada um, mm. but kind of solving this kind of the same problem and at the same time so many different problems mm-hmm. all around the world. I think uh, that really comes back to Volterra's, like our why, right? We're all about the accessibility. Lowering barriers to entry is why we do almost anything. Uh, and in that way, we get a lot of fans who <laughs> like our products and can use them on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as we stick to that, I think we're going to continue solving the right problems and, and getting out there to the right people, helping helping our customers change the world. Uh, Definitely, yeah. And, and it's made here. Like the actual, this catalyst oh, yeah. of innovation is made right here. Well, not right in the library, but like, I mean, <laughs> it's made. <laughs> we have not been commissioning library space, but uh, <laughs> open yeah, to just... any space that people are willing to offer. Yeah, but it, th- I, th- I think that's incredible. Like it's a, it's an incredibly advanced device and it's made here. I think that's worth, mm-hmm. uh, tell us about how yeah. it's made actually. Tell us a little bit about that. Wow. Um, I mean, yeah. there is, there are a lot of moving parts. Like Kat said before, there is, uh, we try and we try and make these tools as simple to interact with for the end user as possible. So hopefully all they interact with is a fantastic user experience and a nice and a good industrial design, you know. But for what it comes to actually building one of these, these are extremely precise tools. Like when you're printing a printed electronics device, you're talking about thicknesses, layer thicknesses on the order of uh, 15 to 30 micrometers, right? Uh, human hair, 100 micrometers, right? So you need these things to be moving in extremely precise positions. And, and that alone presents a massive engineering challenge. Luckily, we have very good manufacturing engineering chops, I believe. So we're, we've been able to make this a little bit easier for us to, to, to qualify and everything like that. But uh, we have machined parts that we work with local partners. We have uh, electronics as well. We work with local and international partners on those as well. Uh, we pretty much get all of that designed in-house. Those uh, We work with our manufacturing, uh, I guess our manufacturing partners to make sure that those are made to spec. But all the quality assessment, the construction, mm-hmm. the testing, uh, that's all done in-house in this same office space that we weren't able to record in today because of the uh, <laughs> of the bustle that's going on when you're trying to ship uh, build and ship units out. Yeah, that's definitely what's a point that I want to hammer home. I've seen a lot of really cool tools from my chair at Trillium. A lot of really interesting tools, but it's always like, oh, where is this? Oh, this is coming from Germany, and this is coming from over here. This is coming mm-hmm. from over there, and it's coming from Japan. 
this is right here in Kitchener. Mm-hmm. And I'm 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 very happy to hear that that's the case. Well, yeah. I mean, something interesting is Kat, you you we we actually have worked with international partners in the past, but more and more we've been moving towards the local and like the the I guess the Canadian partners. Um, and yeah. a big part of it is just they it's easier to work with partners and also I mean Kat you were in uh, China for how long were you well, it was a long time there? back back and forth for about two years on and off two years but wow we've been there we've been you know this surprises people made in Canada seems to really surprise people um, because they expect to turn it around and see a sticker that's you know made in China made in Taiwan made um, in not here where, not mm-hmm. here um, yeah. um, and it does surprise people um, but yeah, we have, we've made that journey. We've been to China before. It's, it's incredible at the speed at which you can get access to parts. Uh, we went there to sort of create the industrial design of the tool just because we, 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 we quite literally went over there mm-hmm. because we were facing the same problem here that we were trying to solve for everybody else, which is right. access to parts, <laughs> access to circuit boards. You know, it's all coming from China anyway, and we don't have a lot of time and a lot of money uh, right now to so, so we got to move quickly so we we literally moved over there to sort of create the industrial design be able to prototype it that sort of thing but um yeah we we, we did sort of entertain the option of um of manufacturing in china for a little bit um and sort of the first batch was was created there um so spent quite a little bit of time there working with a variety of different you know chinese suppliers and getting things together shipping it back to canada but you know in the end we sort of decided to actually move manufacturing back here and that's that was largely due to quality problems so um the the tool requires a lot of fine calibration which means you know all the parts have to be within spec and within very high tolerance and that can all fit together and uh there was a lot of problems when it came to you know creating parts that were intolerance mm-hmm. and after a while we, tr- we tried to make it work but we just said you know this uh this isn't worth it let's just let's go back home and work with the suppliers that we can work with there mm-hmm. and turned out to be a really good decision because i kind of like that surprise factor i like when people get surprised that it's it's made you know in 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 canada and something i, I would think say um that the i think we can do that here in ontario uh because Ontario is kind of a unique ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. We still manufacture, like Ontario produces a lot. And high, just from a technology standpoint, some of our critical components are we're working with manufacturing partners, not literally down the street, but quite close, right? And these are the types of things that you wouldn't be able to get uh, elsewhere. If you could, then you would have to jump through a lot of hoops, right? So I think it's we're really lucky that we are manufa- we are based in Ontario 100%. that we had that option to come back and still work with uh, high precision machining and everything along with partners who at the size that we were at when we were starting right Definitely. we were we started from you guys started from four and then five and then ten people at that size you do not have the budget of like an Apple right to go out and run a full operation out of China Mm -hmm. Um, so for us it just made a lot of sense for us to come back and it I think it's unique to Ontario that we could do that I think there's a lot of places out there that you could try to bring you know do some of that reshoring but Ontario you you're very lucky that you have the ecosystem that's already been built up and you know with the push into advanced manufacturing that's been going on over the the last little while I think that the manufacturing uh, capabilities and, and the, the likelihood that more people will keep bringing that back here. I think that's just going to keep going, right? 
we haven't been burned and there's a reason why we continue to do that out of out of ontario the company has grown uh in a big way and we still haven't we haven't you know stepped back to to think about going overseas right yeah everything you need is right here so speaking of the success you guys have had and congratulations by the way one of the issues that we are that that we at Trillium like to talk about is the availability of industrial land. And now it seems to me like Volterra is the latest, I don't want to say victim, because I mean, you guys are, you know, you're being crushed by your own success. So I don't feel too bad for you. But I mean, you, you kind of, you've grown to the point where you can't grow no more where you're at, and now you have to find new land, right? What can you get both tell me about the challenges that you've had with this issue? Because it is something that affects a lot of manufacturers. Where did you look? Where do you find it? Stuff like that. It's definitely a challenge because especially if you're um, if you're like us, you're building a hardware product and you're manufacturing it, you're, he, you know, here as well. You need a lot of space to do that. On top of that, you're talking about warehouse space yeah. um, that you need. Um, so we haven't even touched upon that. You know, um, it is definitely, definitely a challenge. Um, I think that, w- you know, one good thing that seemed to be a positive for us kind of coming towards the end of the pandemic is that actually a lot of companies went remote. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of companies that no longer needed physical space shut down their offices all over the province, all over the country, all over the world, really, to kind of shift towards remote-based work. And we saw that happen with a number of companies here. So, you know, looking for that space became not easy, but a little bit easier in light of the recent office shutdowns that that were happening. Um, the type of space that we need is particularly unique as well. Um, it has to um, have a loading dock available, double doors, so that you can move product in and out. You need a forklift in order to be able to do that. Um, so it is a particular type of space that's required on top of just like traditional office space. <laughs> it's hard. It took us a long time to look for space, and uh, we we never found the perfect space. We had to do construction on it um, in order to sort of turn it into something that we need, and construction is still happening there. So... It's tough, but like it's not it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. But there's no substitute for the hard work, then, is there? You just have to pound the pavement, look, look, look. Yeah, unfor- unfortunately, not. <laughs> Most unfortunately office spaces don't have gas lines already built in, like pressurized air and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, so. yeah. There's, I, I wouldn't say that there's a shortage of just conventional office space needed. Um, you can find that we've walked through a number of those types of spaces, you know, but. For what we need specifically, manufacturing space, and that's that that's what can be kind of tricky to find right now, for sure. If it, ha- I mean, most of it has already been taken up by some larger companies. So especially if you're a small player like us, you got to get in there with the elbows. Yeah, you got to convert what you can't <laughs> find, right? So you got to, like you're saying, got to pound the pavement, just make it work for you. Um, there's a reason why it. I mean, if if we could do it again and just be a software company, I feel like that would have oh, made our lives a lot wow. easier. But <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no! Don't do that! Don't do that! Thank God, time is linear, and we're going forward. Yeah, yeah, I would never. I'm just saying it, it. There are unique challenges that come with building physical products. It's incredibly rewarding, and you can solve different types of problems when you are physically creating those solutions than you can if it's just you know service-based solutions. Um, but not not easy. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a reason that we saw such a, a tech boost that has predominantly been driven by the software space, right? That it's really a software boom. Um, um, there's a reason for that, right? Um, it's a lot less expensive to be driving a software company. You don't need the space. You don't need the physical product. Um, your your capital costs are a lot lower, um, and it's just a lot. It's a lot easier. But as Matt mentioned, 
I mean, you you solve some pretty cool, meaningful problems when you're when you're physically holding a mm-hmm. uh, something in your hands, and when you're watching other people interact with it um, in a physical way. Um, it's a really rewarding experience. And it's something right? that I think what we're trying, the problems we're trying to solve, it's a little selfish for us in some ways because we're always thinking like, how do we make it easier for people to build products, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's because we also have the same challenges, of right? building products. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Do, do I have time for just like a little story? Because we touched upon a lot of like the future thinking, sort of advanced problems that we're trying to solve and all these cool things that our customers are doing, which are, you know, um, which are definitely the future. But um one of the things that means a lot to me is just when you see people solving real problems in their day to day. And so, uh, you know, I remember being in the office. This was a little bit in our earlier days. I get a call from a customer and they, they're saying, hey, are you Volterra? We would love to see a, a demonstration of your product, the Volterra V1. And I say, yeah, we're Volterra. You know, usually we, we, we slot these things in. You have to call ahead of time. But um, if you, they say, well, we're on our way right now. And we, okay, no problem. Come on in for the demo. Um, and so waiting a little bit, you know, in 10 minutes, I get another call. Hey, we're here in the lobby. No problem. So I go and I step out in the lobby. And the first thing that I noticed, you know, out in the parking lot is a horse and buggy that's parked. And then I also noticed, you know, there's there's three Amish gentlemen that came from the St. Jacobs community nearby and and they were standing there. And I said and I looked at them and they looked at me and they say to me, are you Volterra? I said, yeah. And they said, we're here for the demo. And I said, fantastic. Come on in. So brought them into the office, um, showed them, you know, gave them a rundown of the product. They were looking at it. They were wowed by it, you know. And they and they said, we need something exactly like this. And I said, you know, do you mind I ask what you gentlemen are using this for? And so as it turns out, there are three engineers working out of St. Jacob's and um, they're in the maple syrup business. All they do is they produce maple syrup and they sell their maple syrup. And that's the business that they're in. But what they needed to do was they needed to build a thermal incubation device that can sort of regulate the temperature at which their maple syrup is produced by so they can get better quality maple syrup. Um, so I learned about lot, lots about maple syrup production that day. But at the end of the day, you know, they were trying to solve a problem. They were trying to solve a problem, that a very real problem that they were having. Um, and they were trying to do it through an innovative means, just making maple syrup with a thermal incubator that they wanted to design in-house at their facility in St. Jacobs, you know? And I just thought that was amazing, you know, because it could be, you know, looking to the future for amazing new products that are going to be built, um, or it could just be, you know, products that are simple, like maple syrup. (laughs) At the end of the day, you just want to give people the tools that they can use in-house in order to solve their own problems and create their own innovations. Um, so that was that's probably one of my favorites right there. <laughs> I'm glad you told that story. Good. That is that is perfectly indicative of everything I've been trying to communicate about Volterra. And yeah, that was perfect. Good. I was also told that I would get a tour of your facility after we were done recording. Is that is that still on the table? On the table. That's awesome. So then let's do it. Let's do it. Matt, Kat, Mal. I want to thank all three of you. And um, Mallory, thank you so much for your help setting this up. Um, Thank you so much to the both of you for taking the time. And I can't wait to see uh, how you guys are getting crushed by your own success. Thanks so (laughs) much, much, Nick. Nick. Thanks, everyone.